Spoiler alert. This podcast discusses episode six of Westworld, season three. Humanity is a thin layer of bacteria and a ball of mud hurtling through the void. I think if there was a God, he would have given up on us long ago. We consume and excrete, use and destroy. Then we sit here and we ask ourselves, why are we here? It's the pearl-crushing, riot-control, robot-smashing, divergence-tracking fan show Westward, the official Westworld fan show from Sky Atlantic. Coming up, Jamie East talks exclusively to Simon Quarterman about becoming a simulation of the narrative writer Lee Sizemore. I did not in any way think that I was just going to become a simulation. <laughs> And joining me this week to analyse the heck out of episode six is an actor and comedian who you'll know from the brilliant plebs and Friday Night Dinner. It's Tom Rosenthal. Welcome, Tom. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, I'm in shows that are a lot easier to follow than Westworld. (laughs) They don't need fan podcasts, to be honest. (laughs) Well, we're thrilled to have you on this fan podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. We have been asking our guests, Tom, to sum up the episode that they've just seen in a sentence. Can you, with ep six? Right. I've got three options. Go on. The first one is these violent desires have confusing plots. <laughs> and then I thought we could go black hat, white straight jacket, which is quite sort of smart, Ooh, actually, that one. Yeah, um, I like that. And then the last one is not smart. It's just that therapist was horny. Did you see her app? Did you see what she died? <laughs> did you see why she committed suicide? I did. She, I paused it. She, she had, she cheated on her husband with multiple patients and she is a psychotherapist. They are mentally ill people. And that, I think, set the tone for what was an extremely dark episode. It was a heavy episode for sure. Well, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't, if, if I'm supposed to be on here giving some answers, you, I, you've got the wrong guy, OK? I don't know, I don't know what's happening. I just, it's just very sad and uh, scary. And at the end, oh, it was horrible. It's just too much for me. I really like the philosophy, but I don't like the kids dying in car crashes and being on fire. It's just not nice for me. It's too much. I enjoyed the philosophy as well. And, you know, sometimes, as in philosophy, Tom, it's not all about the answers. Sometimes you can just have fun with the questions, yeah? Uh, so we can do a bit of that on the podcast today. And we will. <laughs> we will. Without doubt. So episode six, was loaded with a lot of references to some of the standout lines from season one. You know, they're kind of re-asking the big questions that the show is trying to puzzle out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's make sure that everybody listening at home caught those famous quotes from season one. So we all remember the line from Westworld greeter host Angela in the first series. Well, if you can't tell, does it matter? This week, William quoted Angela to James Delos as they philosophised about whether they were able to choose their own destinies. If you can't tell, does it matter? In the first ever episode of Westworld, Peter Abernathy, in his glitching Shakespeare-quoting breakdown, also said this phrase. You're in a prison of your own sins. And this week, James Delos accused William of being... Prisoner of your own sins. In season one, Arnold first said to Dolores... Bring yourself back online. Maeve quoted him in the same surroundings by saying, Bring yourself back online. And one more for you, another famous Westworld line from Bernard slash Arnold. Do you know where you are? And this week, when speaking to old William, Bernard referenced the phrase, saying, Do you know who you are? It's not coincidental, is it, Tom? It's very kind of clever writing and referencing back to, to previous seasons. I felt like this episode was was one for the fans in a lot of ways. They're definitely sticking a lot of stuff in there for the quote-unquote 
a sci-fi fan as well. Like, there was a few sort of Matrix illusions, which is basically my favourite film in this series, especially. What did you spot then? Tell me. Oh, I've definitely seen Maeve doing the Neo thing when she was like, come and get me. I think when she was in the Nazi world, maybe she did that mm. gesture that Neo does. Um, and she stopped the bullets and picked the bullet out of the sky. That's and then right. also in this episode we've just watched, you know, when Dolores as Charlotte Hale squeezes his brain mm. and Hector sort of collapses in the simulation world exactly like Switch does in The Matrix when the bad guy with the bald head pulls her plug out of the back of her head. Do you remember yeah. that bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she yeah, goes, yeah. no, not like this. But, and she just collapses. <laughs> that is exactly the same thing. Oh, good spot, good spot. I did philosophy as a, a university degree basically uh-huh. because I watched The Matrix and it's the same thing that really makes me sort of absolutely love this show. Like the, the, the basic sort of free will questions that it throws up and the, the, the idea as well of this big red computer who we're sort of being encouraged to see as the kind of bad guy controlling human behaviour. But I remember when I was learning Plato and he talked about the Republic and philosopher kings and basically he thought the best way to organise a society was basically to have a kind of benevolent dictator mm. and that like democracy or people, it wasn't actually the best way of doing it, people deciding for themselves yeah. and the best way was to have these philosophers who were really smart and they'd go away and, and they'd think about it and then they'd make all the decisions and they'd have basically all the power but they'd do it in a kind way for all the people and so in a way I feel like Plato would love, he would love the idea of this big red ball making everyone's decisions. And the big red ball Tom is called Rehoboam it's named after a king from the Old Testament so I I don't think that's a coincidence and that's why I call it the big red ball because I struggle to say Rehoboam (laughs) (laughs) I've had a lot of practice pretty much my job at this point so so yeah it took me a few goes Um, we saw some effects, some actual on-screen action uh, that was a callback to a previous season. The episode started with our old friends, the aspect ratio black bars. Now, in season two, they signified that we were in a different reality or a different timeline. And for a moment, it seemed that Maeve had made it to the valley beyond. This isn't real. But it could be. Human memory is imperfect. Even the most treasured moments fade. Not for your kind, Maeve. So, if Maeve wasn't actually in the Valley Beyond, Tom, where was she? This uh, Serac guy is a, is a big old question mark, isn't he? To my mind, she's still that little white blob in his facility and she is he's basically trying to convince her to help him in his pursuit for Dolores and he, he's just putting her into any place where he, he feels that that is going to become the decision that she makes right so I assume that he just put her in that valley beyond as an incentive to make her think what it might be like if she does his bidding and therefore can live the rest of her life in heaven with her child. Also as well don't forget her new body isn't quite ready yet it's just being printed you know we see that at the end it's of just the filling time. you see that at the end of the episode so yeah. I think you know she's not quite ready to go back into the real world yet so this is sort of the waiting room for that and, and he's trying to talk yes. her around and giving her one last chance to kind of be on his side and, and take Dolores on Um, At the end of the episode, we see that Maeve's new body's ready and we saw her looking pretty mean as she stepped out of the construction tank. We know that Chirac's building another three hosts to make up her Dolores fighting gang and Maeve referred to them, Tom, as old friends. So who else do you think is coming back or who would you like to see come back? Oh, well, who do I think's coming back? It's surely Clementine. Clementine's got to be there. I want Clementine back. I agree. Desperate to see Clem again. The last time we saw her, she was that weird zombie on the back of her. She can't end like that. Mm. That was really scary. Again, too scary. I didn't like it. Who would I like to see? Uh, I think if I, 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 for a bit of comedy, you want to see 
You know that guy, the, the the first bartender that uh, <laughs> Ford used to talk to in his little soggy dungeon. Oh yeah, he'd be like, "Oh, that's a great that's a great story. <laughs> I'd, I'd love him to come back." <laughs> and then I want I want I want size more, but I want him to put put into like a body of a horse or something like that. So it's just. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's not enough comic relief. This isn't Crazy oh, Rich like, Asians, weird... Tom. Oh, no. This isn't Jumanji, yeah, Tom. This isn't Jumanji, <laughs> exactly Jumanji to be. 3 or 4 or whatever that is. This, you know, where Danny Glover can just I... become a horse. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I want every show to jump the shark <laughs> as soon as possible. Uh, you mentioned the bartender from uh, from season one. He was one of Dr. Ford's favourites. You don't think she's going to bring Dr. Ford back? I guess that would probably be better for the TV show, yeah. <laughs> He's such an amazing actor. And you do miss him, don't you? I mean, yeah, uh, exactly, of course. I'd love to see what he's, what he's saying. I mean, if they can make that make sense. Uh, I guess yeah, it, it, he, he is, his data is at the Forge, am I right in saying? I mean, they do have a copy of him. Yeah, I think they do. So I guess they could do that. And they did look, they, it looked like, perhaps looked like a male body that was being printed. So who knows? We'll have to wait and see. I'm telling you, it's that, it's that bartender. I'm telling you, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to have to work quite hard if it is anyway. It'd be interesting to see. <laughs> yeah. uh, Chirac had an extra little gift waiting for Maeve inside the simulation. It was a default mode copy of a naked Dolores. I could say... I would never hurt your daughter. But you wouldn't believe me. You're right. I wouldn't. You could always give me the key. You expect me to trust you with the future of our kind when you've aligned yourself with a man who would slaughter each and every one of us. Then what choice do I have but to fight you? It would appear very little. The control unit is from the copy of Dolores that was put into the bodyguard Connells. So in case you didn't like catch that, you might notice that it was quite bomb damaged because obviously Connells blew himself up. So that's why it's damaged. Ah, yes. So Chirac's obviously got that control unit and, and is now using the, you know, that Dolores yes. to clue Maeve in and, and, and get her to kind of find out more about her new enemy. And it's a very useful plot device, isn't it? Because it, it can kind of take us lots of different places in lots of different ways. Because obviously you're also at the same time seeing that plot of Dolores in Charlotte Hale becoming more and more human the longer that she is in someone's mm. body. And she seemed to be becoming more like Maeve the longer that she was in Charlotte's body, as in more like maternal and wanting to protect her family and being more quote-unquote human in her emotions. Mm. I guess... That was interesting to see a discussion between the one extreme, which is sort of Dolores in Dolores and Maeve, who is sort of seemingly still just doing it for her daughter. Yes. Although also, I mean, like that, that is basically what it is. It's like emotion versus logic, right? For sure. Yeah, exactly. And it's also that idea that, you know, our choices and our experiences make us who we are, you mm. know, that we, we are what we repeatedly do, as, you know, Aristotle put it most memorably. And so it becomes very much, if you cannot tell, does it matter? Yes, exactly. So while Maeve was mucking about inside the simulation, fighting Nazi soldiers and being all matrixy, she also had time for a quick drink with her old friend Lee Sizemore. But she's not the only one to have a chat with him this week. Our resident super geek, Jamie East, dialed up Westworld star Simon Quarterman in LA to discuss life inside the simulation. Simon Quarterman, what an absolute honour. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. It's lovely to uh, be here. (laughs) What do you think it is about Lee that makes him such a fan favourite? Well... I think we can kind of maybe see a lot of ourselves in him. Yeah. Even the parts of him that we might not necessarily want to know exist within us. <laughs> Looks like that's a rain of sweet water. <laughs> Fuck Ford and his new 
fucking narrative. Fuck this stupid fucking map. Lee turns into a slight coward every now and then. That's what most people would do. They would lose their legs. Yeah, I mean, like, the first the first season, he was just out for himself and himself alone and just rampant narcissism, really, and egotism. <laughs> I am declaring that this park is my stage and I shall do with it what I please. The second season, we start seeing that kind of break up in him and, um, well, all the way through it, we start to see that maybe he's not what he thought he was. I never meant for any of this to happen. You don't deserve this. He seems to have learnt a lot in his time. Totally, yeah. He's certainly grown a lot and um, actually become quite a, a loving guy, really, underneath it all. So, I mean, maybe that's part of it, that people kind of can just relate to him a little bit more than others, perhaps. Get her to safety. She'll need you. It's my fucking speech anyway. And the lesson is... If you're looking for a reckoning... A reckoning is what you'll find. When did you hear that you were coming back after being gunned down? Did you always know? I had a kind of... Like a 50-50 idea that I might be coming back. Jonah and Lisa had... You know, they're very good at these dropping these little breadcrumbs. And, um, <laughs> Tell us about it. They kind of insinuated that there might be a chance I'd be coming back. You start coming up with ideas and thoughts about how this could possibly be. But I did not in any way think that I was just going to become a simulation. <laughs> You're not me, Sizemore. Just a copy of it. That'd be totally ridiculous. I'm me, Lee Sizemore. Here we are in season three. To quote uh, a famous line from a fantastic character, it's been a relentless fucking experience and we're only on episode six. How was it to work on? Very different than previous seasons. Each season kind of feels very different than the last. This one, because of where Lee is now, is a little satellite around the whole main story. Yeah. So he's not... As involved. He's offering a foundation to Maeve, though, isn't he? Yeah, totally is. You know, it's a bit of a cornerstone. Yes, definitely. So he's become more of an observer, I guess, because he's just code now. Speaking of code, Mm. Lee, presumably, even in his current kind of state, is still one of the most powerful players in Westworld because he's one of the few that's... I presume you've retained the ability to write narrative code. Well, we learn in episode six that he's uh, programmed everyone not to see him anymore. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was... That is brilliant. Such a, again, such a narcissistic <laughs> thing to do because it's just like you've become your own man in black now. You can swan around and be James Delos. What, was I supposed to go back to work after realising I don't actually exist? One of the questions that we ask most people that work on Westworld is, are you managing to keep up with it? Are you managing to kind of keep track of the different realities and worlds? Yeah, it was kind of fun shooting this season because I didn't actually want to know what was happening in the real world so to speak Yeah, and they're very good at keeping things secret anyway because we only get the script of the episode that we're involved with I was getting little um, tidbits from um, Tandy when we worked together but um, she's such a gossip isn't she <laughs> terrible terrible gossip she, she is a terrible gossip <laughs> but uh, yeah she would she would give me some little tidbits but, uh, but other than that I was I, I had no idea what was going on really so, I mean, a little little bit of speculation then. So we're watching you as code, as a simulation at the moment. Yeah. 
Do you think we're ever going to see Lee Sizemore printed out as a host? I have no idea. Oh, here we go. Here we I go. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I actually have no idea. I mean, the thought has certainly crossed my mind, but... Um... It's turning into a very kind of Terminator-esque West Side Story at the moment. <laughs> Gangs are kind of uh, sizing each other up, and it looks like we're heading to uh-huh. one, towards one big showdown. Uh-huh. Are you gonna Are you gonna join the host gang then? Uh, in probably some as way. a cheer, cheerleader in the simulated <laughs> yeah. world. A couple of pom poms. Yeah, from be- <laughs> from behind that kind of uh, that robot, the protector robot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lee's not so much of a fighter, really. It's a lover. It's a lover, not a fighter. Yeah. Totally. Or complete coward. Put down your weapon. If you're looking for a villain, then I'm your man. Now, finally, Simon, previously in Westwood, we played a game called Quickfire Predictions, and we'd love to bring it back uh, as a slight return, especially for you. The way this works is you've only got 15 seconds to answer as many of these Westworld-related conundrums as possible. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, totally. On your marks, get set. Go. Maeve or Dolores? Maeve. Simulation or reality? Reality. Host or human? Human. Chirac or the man in black? Man in black. Is Caleb actually a host? No idea. Will Dolores destroy mankind? Ah, perhaps. Does Dolores... Oh, that's it, it's up. It's oh, up. that's it? Oh, you're <laughs> kidding. Simon, you did pretty well there. You got <laughs> six. That's good going, my friend. Oh, okay, good. I'll take it. <laughs> we'll take it. Listen, <laughs> Simon, thank you so much. And thank you for thank you for the creation of Lee Sizemore. He's not just a fan favourite. Uh, he's our favourite too. What a guy. Oh, we, that's very sweet. Thank you. May he live on it as an invisible patron of his bar forevermore. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> Simon, thank you so much for joining us, mate. It's really good fun. Thanks so much, Jamie. Cheers, mate. Take care. Westward. Thanks, Jamie. Now, there's something about Lee Sizemore that's lovable, despite him being a bit annoying. Are you a fan of Lee Sizemore, Tom Rosenthal? <laughs> well, I've got, I got to be honest. I, whenever I watch a TV show, all I ever think is if there's a, a part in it that I could have played, <laughs> and I sort of just secretly resent the actor that's playing it. Classic actor, yeah. And I absolutely love Westworld, and that part is obviously the only part that I can play because I'm a little weasel. And <laughs> the fact he's got an English accent, and so I initially obviously hate it. I mean, I just I was just like really furious during the show that I love. But uh, uh, having watched him over three seasons and seen, you know, yeah, I, I have a very very uh, fond. Um, place in my heart for Sizemore now I think he's he sort of became a man that he sort of wanted to be in a way in a nice way I thought it was just so much of Westworld is is people sort of striving and uh, also being horrible and actually his arc kind of did reach a lovely conclusion like a happy ending essentially for him just and and now he's he's trapped in a weird simulation where he just gets drunk which is also what he wanted to do so he's achieved being a <laughs> hero and a man he wanted to be but he also gets to be in a nazi bar and drinking all the time i just, yeah I, I i think i think we all like him don't I, we? I think as well for me what i like about him is that he's quite a fun device that the showrunners can use to make jokes about writers so it's he's he's kind of an opportunity to be yeah, a bit yeah, tongue in cheek yeah, yeah. which is quite fun as well that's true yeah what does he say is not it's not plagiarism it's supply and yeah. demand or whatever which i imagine when you're churning out 10 stories in a in a two months is uh yeah i i i get i get i mean all writers basically steal don't you it's just the good ones just hide it better oh genius steals and all that uh so william became the man in white in this week's clockwork orange style uh, asylum outfit that he was wearing and he had what all of us must relate to as a form of essential therapy a group counseling session with himself seriously this is what happens to me. Are you disappointed? 
Some of them look all right. Not that one. No offense. None taken. We have to talk then about the multiple Williams. I know that you loved this scene, Tom. Um, mm. That was the ultimate kind of self-reflection therapy group, but as dark as it gets, wasn't it? Yeah. So let's run through them. We had child William, looks about 10. We saw him being yelled at by his dad. There was young William, just post that first visit to the park, who'd just fallen in love with Dolores. Dinner jacket William, the kind of public face of, of William, the philanthropist, his real-world persona. The man in black, who is the one who was obsessed by the game, that version of William, that, that really only exists in the park and then present day real life William now the man in white what did you make of the this scene and, and, and this kind of concept of the multiple Williams we were sort of initially invited to think that he had been pure as a child and perhaps corrupted by the potential of the park but then as those sessions went on we were hinted at that the kid was actually sort of born evil like a sort of Damien who broke someone's arm for no reason and that that was the reason that his father was a drunk or, or, or something I I didn't quite understand I mean it it, it was it was so cool in terms of like a dramatic device in order to kind of put on screen what the purpose of therapy to my mind seems to be which is to sort of discover who you are in relation to who you once were like previous traumas and stuff but uh, yeah, in true Westworld style, everyone just ended up dead. <laughs> <laughs> it quickly escalated into a killing spree. It was an absolute bloodbath. But like, just I mean, I, all I, I just thought, I, mean, I, I don't really have anything smart to say about it. I just thought the acting was fantastic. It was just so cool. Well, one of the things that I thought was interesting was that, you know, in, in a show where we've watched multiple seasons now about kind of these host personalities, these, these sort of non-human personalities being put in and out of, of human bodies, how interesting to see the idea and to, to sort of, uh, visualise the idea so clearly that there are multiple versions of a person. You know, we all contain multitudes, don't we? And that there are many versions of ourselves. There are people that we are in public, people that we are in private. And and for me, it was kind of the showrunners playing with that idea in, in a really clever way. Like you say, really digging into the sort of philosophy this week. It was quite fun. OK, well, does that suggest that in this facility they have the books or the uh, data in order to recreate these past versions of William. Yeah, maybe it does. Because obviously like you're invited to think that these are all sort of memories that we ourselves are conjuring up. But that can't be true because he gets shown two different memories, one which contradicts the other. So mm-hmm. they can't all be in his head Unless well, and also is... this embodiment of James Delos. You know, great to see James Delos back, played by the brilliant Peter Mullen. Which, of course, they definitely do have a record of because they tried to make him like 148 times or whatever. Exactly. It was. So, so you know, yeah, I think I think you might be onto something there, Tom. Really interesting idea. Uh, so taunting William, James Delos, who was holding court and and just really enjoying his moment. Now we last saw him inside the Goldfish Bowl facility as one of the original host humans who was being tested for fidelity. William, please don't interrupt. It's not all about you, you know. Such a brilliant character. Why do you think they brought him back, Tom? I think the person who has been sort of most tested on in terms of transferring from human into robot is significant in terms of if you were literally just looking back on how they attempted to do that. Also, his place as like the sort of 1% of the 1% is quite interesting because I think the story generally is 
becoming one of class. I, I, I think you, you're invited initially to see it as robots versus humans, but I wonder whether the more Dolores um, gets into our world, she is actually going to see a parallel between the sort of lower middle class people who are on their um, tracks and the hosts mm. and the sort of upper echelons, the, the elites, the 1% who both, you know, would visit the park in Westworld, but kind of control proceedings in the human world. And I think you can see on that Rico app that Caleb's got that there is this sort of um, upper class, which are kind of like beyond rules, beyond laws. And I suppose uh, James Dallas as a character really encapsulates that. He is a, a, an archetypal example of the 1% of the 1%. Yeah, I agree. I mean, as well, of course, we saw James Delos in the goldfish bowl and William was kind of testing him at that point for fidelity. Yeah. This is a mirror image of that, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, he's running the therapy session. He's finding out who the real William is. Does it matter what I've been? Good or bad? Everything we've done has led to this. And I finally understand my purpose. I'm the good guy. So before we leave William and James Delos, how on earth did William come to the conclusion that he was the good guy? There's two ways of interpreting it. A you think it's like a, a normal therapy session and in some way in looking at his past self he has, he has basically exercised his demons of what he thought he was and what he was and now can process himself as you know you, you'd expect any hap- happy human needs a purpose that and they have to think of themselves as good and he sort of never loved himself i suppose so this therapy session to an extent what maybe made him allowed him to love himself for forgiving himself for his own sins and he could then see himself as the good guy because he's cleansed himself of the bad things he's done but you could also interpret it if he is in this delos facility and dolores has some sort of access to his bloodstream or his personality as a, like an update in his personality uh whereby that she has allowed him to uh basically change himself or forced him to change himself because we've known this guy is a bad guy mm. and he's always talked about something being bad about his core and perhaps dolores has just updated him so now his core is good you know? Yeah, it's classic Westworld that they would make someone good by forcing them to perform a series of grisly murders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very uh, entertaining, <laughs> high-budget murders. <laughs> it's just heavy, isn't it? <laughs> All right, a final thought on William for now. We are 26 episodes of Westworld in and we still don't know William's surname. It, it, isn't he just supposed to be sort of like an everyday guy? Isn't it? That, that was his story, isn't it? Like he 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 wasn't given wealth; he sort of earned it. So his his surname is probably really boring, just like Bubbins. <laughs> <laughs> He's so not a Bubbins. Imagine, yeah. imagine if he is Bubbins. That will be the ultimate <laughs> reveal. Yeah, black hat Bubbins. Black. That's it. It's you know, Bubbins with the black hat. What the one? You know, with the... they killed everyone. Bubbly, oh, yeah. Bubbly Bubbins. Bubbins. The ultraviolence <laughs> Bubbins. I know him. Watch out! Watch out! It's Bubbins. <laughs> All right, I'm going to tag that over to our Facebook fan page. If you have a theory on William's surname and what it might be, then there's a thread on our page right now. Go and get involved. All week long, there's fan chat, theories, polls, things like that for you to join in with there. Go to Sky TV on Facebook and you can find our little world in the groups tab. Westward, the Westworld podcast from Sky Atlantic. Another major storyline this week was Charlotte Hale's escape plan going so, so tragically wrong. I need you to trust me. I can keep you safe. 
can keep you. Chirac sent one of his security team to murder Charlotte Hill, which resulted in them blowing up her car along with her husband and son, Nathan, inside. Tom, it was so sad. It was absolutely horrible. I couldn't deal with it, yeah. She's still alive, though, and as we know in Westworld, you know, even though she's very, very badly burned, she is still kind of in play. Yeah. This event is going to change everything, isn't it? I guess, would you see her as someone who in a later episode might, stop being on Dolores' team and start being on Maeve's team. Right. I mean, I guess that's what we're expecting, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Because she has essentially converted to looking after kids is more important than killing all humans. So... <laughs> I mean, I'm on her yeah. pitch as, as a parent myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like, exactly, yeah, I agree. Yeah. She's going to have to get some new skin though, right? <laughs> Her skin was not in a good place. Well, you know, as a sci-fi fan, did you spot all of the Terminator references there? Yeah, I'm less into my Terminator than I am the Matrix, but it was smacking you around the head at the end, wasn't it? Yeah, I, did, I definitely did glean a bit of the sort of the limp. So that limping walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. As she escaped the Delos building, she terminated Hector and then yeah. she's on fire crawling along the floor. Very Terminator. But we know that, you know, Phoenix-like, she will maybe rise out of the ashes then. Is that what those kind of references are telling us? She will be rebuilt. She'll be back <laughs> oh she's got to be back yeah okay but it was just it was horrible it was, i think it's the worst thing i've seen in westworld and i've seen quite a lot of bad stuff it was really upsetting so let's talk about a, a, a favorite moment from the episode i want to talk about my favorite robot this week and this season we finally saw charlotte engage the riot control robot drop your weapon hands where we can see How cool was that? That's your favourite robot? Yeah, 100%. All these robots with human faces. Yeah. These nice people and you choose the robot that lays cable. I like the bot bots, you know what I mean? The ones, the, the non-human ones there. Yeah, I think I, I think because they're kind of functional. All, but all they did was kill, they just killed people. That was all they did in this episode. Well, there is that. But I, I think as, as personally as a host of things, when you perform a role that is essentially functional, you identify with, with <laughs> you know, with, with androids that do the same thing so when i see the housekeeping droids and they're just like polishing up a pearl or they're making like you know the mainframe look really nice they're just doing a bit of tidying that's that's where i see myself that's, so that's the part you would have played if you, <laughs> yeah. I, i'm jealous of size more you're jealous of the robot <laughs> i would have been the big droid i, I was i felt i there was one time because he killed most of the people who were shooting him the robot but there was one time when he sort of flicked a man off him and the man <laughs> just landed really nicely in some water yeah and i thought it just like it just gave him a nice little like a dive yeah it was, it was quite a fun Go, we'll get off. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, they're not they're not violent for violence' Maybe they sake, are quite Tom. Friendly. They're yeah, just doing yeah. they're doing what they have to do to get stuff done. Yeah. Now, in this episode, Chirac guessed that Charlotte wasn't exactly the human Charlotte Hale, and the thing, mm. her tell, that revealed her identity was the very thing that made her more human. She yeah, showed compassion, so empathy, and ultimately love when she went to check on her son Nathan. Chirac spotted it. You played your part very well. The real Charlotte Hill never would have taken the time to check on her son. So there's also a fantastic quote when Hale asks why their emotions, the Dolores' emotions, can't be burned out of their code. And yes. Alpha Dolores, as we've been called her on the podcast, replies, um, if we change ourselves to survive, then does it even matter if we do survive? So does this mean that what is ultimately driving the host is that desire to become human? It is funny, isn't it? Because occasionally... What do they say? Like, stop emotional responses or something like that. And they're, they're going like, ah, ha, ha, like that. And then they just stop. <laughs> Suddenly freeze. She did that to Charlotte Hale, Dolores, 
when she'd just been shot and or she was like self-harming or something wasn't she and she did it to her yes yes exactly she was traumatized dolores will sometimes switch it off in the other doloreses so recognizes that it's not necessarily ideal always to show emotion but also seems to think that if they don't show emotion they wouldn't be a sort of complete species i mean or they wouldn't be fully alive i suppose the thing that i keep getting when when i see these sort of robots when 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 they achieve something good they don't party or relish in it like i think that's where humans are way better than the robots in the series like they they never sort of like let their hair down or have or, or chill i mean i think the reason why human life is nice and why we can have joy and have parties is because it's a relief from suffering and when we suffer and we stop we then have a party and we get drunk but these robots they don't seem to do that they're just like all right on to the next logical task and that seems much worse that's why i'm campaigning for the humans and i know you like the robots and that but i, I <laughs> the big stacky robots chucking men into the into the pool. But well, I'm, I'm backing every single human in this show to the end. I admire a droid who can get things done, Tom. But you know, <laughs> let's not forget let's not forget the Buddhist tenet that you know suffering is life. Life is suffering. Well, exactly. You know, and but, Dolores but, Dolores became she became sentient when she experienced pain. Uh, yeah, and they need they need their backstory, their, their depressing backstory, in order to be alive. Exactly. So. Maybe, maybe when Dolores, you know, achieves all of her goals, there'll be no more suffering and then she won't be alive anymore. I mean, mm. has, she, has she thought about that? Has this robot thought about that? I think we end this week's episode with more questions than answers, but we knew we would. I told we you. said it at the Don't beginning. Don't get me involved if you want any answers. <laughs> Go and ask the big red bull. The big red bull knows. Rehoboam. Rehoboam. <laughs> uh, with that, I think I'm going to go and ponder the nature of my reality. Uh, thank you so much, Tom, for your excellent analysis. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> Westworld returns Monday at 9pm on Sky Atlantic for episode 7, Past Porn. Westworld is a production by Zanak & Co and Coex Studios for Sky Atlantic. I'm Lauren Laverne. Breeze all motor functions. Westworld. The Westworld podcast from Sky Atlantic. <laughs>